0: Skyborn, Episode 18, Storm's Eye, by K.G. Lockrams. What's next? Ginger asked, when I'd finished moving into her spare room on the second floor of her twin home at the end of the spring semester. I'm not sure. This isn't exactly how I'd planned things to go, or how I thought they'd turn out. I'm going to audition with the ballroom dance studio, but I have no idea what that might pay. The theater's doing a musical this summer, and I thought I'd audition. I need to make new friends, just as much as I need a job. And Michael? She teased. <laughs> I think that's gone as far as it can go. I'll miss the sex, though. She was quiet. I haven't been with a man since my first gave me herpes a decade ago. I wasn't sure what to say in response. I thought there was a drug you could take. If you're careful between outbreaks, aren't you okay to have sex? I could see she was trying to decide what she wanted to share with me. I'm too ashamed, she said and brushed away a tear. In this town, if I said something to my doctor or if someone at the pharmacy were to gossip, I'd just die. I've tried dating a couple of times, but as soon as I tell a guy I have it, they don't call me again. I've also put on so much weight over the years. I guess I've gotten used to being on my own, doing what I want, eating what I want. I just pour all of my energy into work. Well, I love you. Not that that does anything for your sex life. She smiled. I got this promotion, so there's that, she brightened. Eventually, I'd like to get out of this house. Too many complex memories. I'd like to save enough money to build a log cabin somewhere, maybe with a pottery studio attached to it. That would be my dream home. I suddenly remembered lying on my belly on the living room floor as a child building log cabins with my Lincoln Logs. I was fascinated by log cabins, and Ginger's home was full of the pottery she'd thrown over the years. She was truly talented. Sounds amazing, I said. My mom and I talk about it sometimes, selling both our places and building a cabin and moving in together. She's already feeling as if taking care of her place by herself is getting to be a bit much, and I'm tired of so much alone time. Your mom's the best. She let out a short, dark laugh. Oh, she's great, but we didn't always have the relationship you see. We didn't get along for many years. Changing the subject, I thanked her again for letting me move in. How do you want to work things? I can mow the lawn, clean around the house. I'm a good cook. You don't have to indenture yourself to me, Kit. We'll figure it out as we go. I have a work trip coming up this week. I'll be out of town through Thursday. Get yourself settled in. Take care of Misty. And we'll talk when I'm back once you've gotten a feel for the place. Okay? We put the TV on, ordered a pizza, and zoned out for the night. I lay in bed unable to sleep. I listened to the noises of the old, unfamiliar house. The occasional truck or car would drive down the street with country music blaring or a loud broken muffler. The old single-pane glass would rattle on the window frame in response. I felt both free and fearful. My family's hateful words kept repeating like an earworm. When you're dying from AIDS. I always knew he'd be a faggot. You were the joy of my life. You make me sick. I wish you were dead. It's an affront against God and nature. What am I going to do about money? What am I going to do next? Sleep claimed to just before dawn. The next day, I called the dance studio and arranged to come in for an interview and audition. The studio was owned by a husband and wife. The wife had Mrs. Labor's diffident demeanor and looked a bit like a young Audrey Hepburn. The husband was tall, dark-haired, trim, and arrogant, which fit my imagined backstory of him. They danced beautifully together. The studio had floor-to-ceiling windows on two walls and floor-to-ceiling, wall-to-wall mirrors on the other two walls. The beautifully polished hardwood floor completed the space. As his wife and I waltzed at a foxtrot, he critiqued me. Stand up straight. No, no, no. Imagine a string connected to the center of your sternum near your collarbone, pulling you up, up, up. Put your hips under your spine. Shoulders back. Relax, you look too stiff. That was my favorite. She handed me off to another instructor to do some Latin dances. After a few tries, the instructor looked at the owners and called out, He'll need to work on the Latin dances. He needs to loosen up his hips. She smiled and gave me a kind wink. After a little over an hour, they offered me a job starting that week. Having no other options, I accepted. Ginger called that evening. She and Grace were worried about me, and one of them would call me every evening to check in. Well, looks like I'm a dance instructor. She laughed. I know, it's ridiculous. From computers and math to dance, who knew? A couple of days later, there was a message from Grace on the machine. Kit, I'm making us dinner. Be here by six. Both Ginger and Grace's places were built around the 1930s, but Grace's was a standalone single-family home. I stopped along the way and picked some wildflowers for her. This part of the county was nothing but farms and meadowlands. I picked these along the way, I said, and presented the flowers to Grace at the door. Aren't you just a delight? Come in and have a seat in the kitchen while I put these in some water. There's beer in the fridge if you'd like. I grabbed a can of Budweiser and sat down. Putting the flowers on the table, she said, I'd say your mama raised you right, but from all I've come to learn this year, perhaps you got your heart somewhere else. I smiled and took a sip of my beer. Hot dogs okay with you? She asked as she filled a pan with water. I made some potato salad over the weekend and thought we'd keep it simple. Dogs, greens, and potato salad. Sounds great. It was a warm, clear evening, so we ate outside at the picnic table. Normally I'd have grilled these, but I didn't have time to stop for briquettes. Boiled dogs are fine. I appreciate the company as much as the food. Food on plates. We made small talk as we ate. We talked about Ginger's new job. The weather. It felt as if we were talking about nothing to avoid talking about something. Ginger tells me you may be working at a dance studio. How exciting. It's certainly something I never imagined doing. It's good to try new things. Keeps our hearts open, she said. After a time of quietly eating our dinner, she asked, How are things with your mother? No change. She put her hand on her heart. I just can't wrap my head around it, Grace began. No contact at all? None. Who knows, she may have tried to call me at school, but we didn't have answering machines, and my roommate was never around. She could have written to me, but didn't. There's been nothing. My friendships pretty much all faded away after I told everyone I was gay. She doesn't know you were Ginger. I have to imagine she has no idea where I am now. I can't imagine, she said. I'd be absolutely sick with worry. I had no response. How are you holding up? If the dancing thing doesn't work out, I'll find something else. I have an associate degree in data processing and computers certainly aren't going away. Tons of people do just fine with less education and less opportunity. She looked at me and smiled. That's what you're going to do, sweetheart. I'm asking how you're doing. I got a lump in my throat. I'm making a choice to keep on keeping on, as best I can. It makes me sick to my stomach if I think about it too much. I just never thought, well, how could you have? Can we change the topic, I asked. Certainly. So tell me about how you came to be working at a dance studio. As we spent the next hour enjoying the warm evening air in one another's company I told her about taking dance at the university and she told me of her late husband. The way she saw me when she looked at me reminded me of my grandmother. Some become mama's boys, I would definitely become a grandma's boy and was just fine with that. As I lay in bed that night I was once again grateful for my grandmother giving me the car. Its gas mileage helped offset the fact the studio was 50 miles away. Don't tell your grandmother. It would kill her," I heard my mother's voice say in the dark. I hadn't spoken to my grandmother since we called her Easter Sunday, before I'd come out to my mother and siblings. My mother's comment had effectively silenced me. I didn't want to lie to my grandmother, and although I didn't think the news would kill her, I wasn't confident she'd understand, or want, or need to know. Perhaps I'm not giving her enough credit, I thought. I once met her brother when I was a child. We were on one of our summer vacations to see her and my grandfather. I was sleeping on a cot in the living room, opposite the bathroom up a short flight of stairs where I'd smashed that glass to my face. Everyone else was asleep as I lay awake listening to the noises around me. He was taking a shower. The water stopped. I heard the shower curtain pulled open. The spring-hinged bathroom door opened slowly and creakily. I heard him prop the door open by setting the floor lock with a sharp click. Steam and light poured out of the bathroom. The smell of soap and shampoo wafted over me and I saw his naked silhouette. His chest dimly lit by the light above the medicine chest. He was a thin man and older than my grandmother. He was mostly bald and his skin had begun to sag a bit. I could see his penis and scrotum both elongated from the hot shower. He had no idea he was being observed as he went about his nighttime routine. He finished at the bathroom sink, put on his robe and went to bed. Everyone called him Crazy Uncle Sherwin. From what I could tell, I used to imagine it was because he traveled so much and was a lifelong bachelor. He seemed perfectly fine to me. I often wondered, then and now, if he was simply gay, and that's what being gay had to look like for his generation, a life apart and alone. That would have answered a lot of unasked questions. Ginger and I lived well together when we actually were together, She traveled about four days a week, every week. She was usually home Friday and Saturday nights, and would leave for her next work assignment either Sunday night or first thing Monday morning. When she was out of the house, Misty was nowhere to be seen, which made me feel a little rejected by a cat. I had spent so much time alone the last semester at college, and here I was, alone again. I had too much time on my hands and spent it thinking about my mother throwing me out, all the fallout of my coming out and what I was going to do with my life. The majority of the people I'd grown up with had turned away from me upon discovering I was gay. Others, like Elroy and Carrie, had moved away and not sustained contact, and I let go of any casual friendships. The risk of rejection didn't seem worth the effort. Even though I'd grown up in the county, I was starting my life over as if a newcomer, which seemed fair as I felt like a completely different person from the one who'd left for the university. I came to realize that people who were truly present and accepting of me were people who had struggled with their own issues or tragedies. Ginger and her STD, Grace and her alcoholic husband, who died too young, Don and his bipolar disorder, that each fought to regain control of and rebuild their lives and had come through their struggles with a greater appreciation of themselves and the value of kinship. We supported each other as best we could and appreciated one another's struggles which in turn allowed us to form deeper, more honest connections and relationships with each other. I never could get the hang of the Latin dances. I didn't have the hips or perhaps the rhythm for them. More honestly, I felt uncomfortable moving my hips around in a way that felt so overtly provocative and sexual. Doing so made me feel awkward and a bit ashamed, which I supposed was rooted in my rape damage. Regardless, it was a bridge too far for me. I was also hypercritical of my every move and motion. Being in front of the mirror for hours on end was unsettling. My inner monologue criticized my hair, my looks, my posture, my missteps, my weight, my lack of muscle mass, my discomfort, and my flat ass. I wasn't making enough money to offset the travel expense or to have enough left over to contribute to the household. The schedule was a blend of days and nights, which interfered with my commitment to watch Misty and my desire to be in the musical. Ginger never asked for anything or made me feel burdensome, but having had my first job by middle school, I felt like a freeloader, and I didn't like it. I quit the studio after two weeks. The department store I had worked at wanted me back, but given the pay and distance, the finances didn't work there either. I was in an earnings desert, living with Ginger. I realized the best person to help me was Patricia Anderson one of my mother's best friends. Patricia was my mother's age and had brown hair and eyes. She was a -a pack-a-day smoker with a sharp mind and wit to match. She had three children, two daughters and a son. The age gaps between her children and me were such that I didn't really know any of them, but she lived next door to a friend of mine in the development as I grew up. Between seeing her so often when I'd visit my friend, seeing her over the years at my mother's bridge club, and being in the diet workshop she ran the summer I lost 50 pounds, I thought of her as something of a surrogate aunt. Patricia drove my sister back to college whenever our mother would refuse to do so, for whatever imagined reason our mother had for stranding her own daughter away from college. She'd been playing bridge at the neighbor's house when I showed up as a child, sobbing, the night my brother had beaten me so thoroughly on my head with my hairbrush. She and the laborers knew more about the dynamics of our family than any other of my mother's friends. Mrs. Anderson was divorced, had a live-in boyfriend, and was never judgmental. She worked for a temp agency and seemed like my best bet to start networking for a better job. I called her one day. Mrs. Anderson, it's Kit, Lockrooms. Kit? She sounded surprised. What's up? Are you okay? I'm okay. I, well, I need a job, and I was wondering how the placement agency works. Are you looking for summer work? Not necessarily. She paused. She was no dummy. And given Bridge Club had met at least twice since Easter, I imagined she'd been told some story about what had happened between my mother and me. Oh, I see. She paused again. How about this? Put on a pair of slacks and a dress shirt and meet me at my place Monday morning at 8. You can follow me into the city and I'll put you through our placement testing. What are you looking for? Well, I don't really know what my options are. I know Wordstar, DBase3, I've worked in retail. Done janitorial work, substitute taught, worked on a loading dock, and recently spent a couple of weeks as a ballroom dance instructor. She laughed. We don't get a lot of orders for ballroom dance instructors, but the rest sounds good. Can you type? 65 words a minute, and I know how to use an IBM Selectric. Oh, that's great. We won't have any trouble finding you something. See you Monday morning. After speaking with Mrs. Anderson, I went out to get lunch and pick up some groceries. It was a bright summer day with a steady breeze. I had the window down to feel the sun and the wind on my face. As I drove by the town's one and only bank, I noticed two men dressed in white hoods and robes. They were clansmen of the KKK. The light at the intersection turned red and I was forced to stop not 12 feet away from them. I couldn't help but stare. They were handing something out to the people walking by as well as those going in and out of the bank. Some people engaged, others looked away and quickly walked by. It was like watching a couple of satanic Salvation Army bell ringers at Christmas. The light turned green, but I was spellbound in horror and didn't notice. The person behind me honked and both clansmen turned toward me. One sort of saluted me, and the other stretched his hand out toward me, offering me a flyer. My initial instinct was to flip them both my middle finger, but as far as I knew, I was the only one in town driving a Honda CRX and thought it safest to continue on my way. They were handing something to people walking by, I told Ginger when I got back to her place. Applications. For what? To join the Klan, she said. You're kidding me. Nope. Mom works at the bank, and apparently one of the people on the board is rumored to be a Klansman, and he looks the other way. There's quite a large KKK enclave on the outskirts of town. They gather regularly at the auction house. I felt sickened. And less safe. How did I not know this? And then I remembered that night as a child, driving home with my family, and passing a house with a cross set aflame in the front yard. No one in the car said a word. I knocked on Mrs. Anderson's kitchen door off her driveway Monday morning at 7.55. Coming, she called. She answered the door and let me in. Don't you look nice, she said. It's the finest Kmart and Peebles had to offer, I replied. Do you want any coffee or soda for the road? No, thank you. She went over the details of where we were heading in the city and which parking garage we'd use. She was squeezing me in among already scheduled appointments. It took a couple of hours for things to settle down before she could get me into the testing room. She administered a series of aptitude tests to determine which clerical positions I'd be suited for. I finished and handed them back to her. Laura, can you set Kit up for his time typing test and get these scored for me, please? She called out. After the typing test, Laura announced 65 words a minute with 98% accuracy. As advertised, I quipped. I'm taking Kit to lunch, she called out to Laura. You don't have to do that, I said. I know, but I'm going to. There's a restaurant just next door. We got settled at a table and ordered. I see you've managed to keep your weight off since high school, she said. Yes, ma'am. I'm a lot more active than I used to be. I started riding my bike quite a bit. I play tennis and racquetball. And as I said, it turns out I'm a decent ballroom dancer, which is more of a workout than I'd have thought. If we're going to be working for the same company, she said, call me Patty. Okay, Patty. She smiled and took a long drag on her cigarette, held it, and exhaled it thoughtfully to the side. I spoke with your mother. I had expected she would have. She said you decided to move out. Ha! The sound escaped my mouth, with no conscious decision on my part. That's certainly one way to put it, I concluded and took a drink of my iced tea. She took another drag from her cigarette. I know a thing or two about your family, both from what I've put together over the years, and from your mother directly. Our food was delivered. I'm here for you if you ever need to talk. About anything. You've always been kind to my sister and me. I know you took her to campus more than once after she and our mother had disagreements. The way you've kept an eye out for us is why I thought to call you. Your mother didn't have the easiest time being a wife. Or a mother, I said sullenly. Perhaps, she gave me a penetrating stare. I felt as if she were walking a fine line between loyal friend to my mother and helpful friend to me. We ate lunch in comfortable silence. When she finished, she gave a short chuckle. You're so much like your sister. She was just as quiet on those trips back to school as you've been over this lunch. I smiled and took another sip of my tea. I'm not having the easiest time with my son, she shared. There's been a lot of bad blood between us over the years. Her son was older than me and would have graduated college several years ago at this point. All I knew of him was what I'd overheard at Bridge Club at our house. He was said to be level-headed, And had been a good student. I'm sorry to hear that, I said. Me too. Maybe sometimes parents and children need a break from each other to figure out their relationships as adults. I wanted to say my mother and I were not on a break. I wanted to say she'd thrown me out and wished me dead, but I couldn't bring myself to say anything and just listened. I promise you this, she continued. I won't pry and I won't meddle. If you open up to me, you're an adult now, and it would stay between us. My main concern right now is to keep you on your feet and off the street. I took her at her word. I'll be okay. I'm staying with a friend right now, but I've realized she lives too far away from anywhere to get a job that pays a decent wage. So, here I am. When we got back to the agency, she had me fill out some employment paperwork and told me to go home. I'll call you in a day or two. I'm sure we'll find you something. Congratulations, she said, and reached out her hand to shake mine. I reached out both my hands and cupped hers gently. Thank you, Patty, for everything. And I don't just mean today. She blushed and her eyes grew moist. Get out of here, she said, smiling, taking back her hand and shooing me away with it. The next day, as I came down the wooden stairs from the second story, I hadn't noticed Misty sleeping midway in a pool of sunlight coming through the front door. I had to do a sudden quick step to avoid stepping on her. Given the age of the house, the stair treads were very shallow, and my correction to avoid stepping on her caused me to ski down the rest of the staircase in my socked feet. My right shoulder hit the casing at the base of the staircase, where a door had once separated the two floors. It stopped me with such force, my glasses flew off my face, hit the front door, and came to rest in pieces on the landing. Shit! I shouted and looked at Misty who flicked her fluffy black tail against the riser below her, unimpressed, silently willing me out of the way of the sunlight I was now blocking. I'd been wearing glasses since second grade and wasn't able to function without them. I'd switched to contact lenses in middle school, but they were too expensive to maintain after my situation changed at home. I needed a replacement pair of glasses and fast, which meant lens crafters and their one-hour glasses policy. The nearest one was backed by the campus of the university. I got in my car and headed for the store in hopes I could see the doctor as a walk-in, get a script, and get a new pair of lenses and frames. I didn't know if my mother had removed me from her insurance. I didn't even know if we had insurance for eyewear. Given it was a weekday, I lucked out and got right in. I paid for everything with a credit card and another two hours left with new glasses. I picked out a pair of azure blue frames with flecks of white and random shades of blue. I thought they made my blue eyes stand out. They were something my mother would have never let me buy. She'd have said something like, they're too flamboyant, and would have insisted on something gold or brown or tortoiseshell. I thought they were artistic and radical. When I got home, there was a message from Patty on the machine asking to call her. We have a number of jobs you'd be good for, but they're all in the city. I was wondering how you'd feel about me finding ones that match my schedule. We could commute together, and you could save on gas and parking. Sure, but I'd want to pay you something for both. Out of the question. She went through the options. They all sound the same to me. Which do you think I should choose? All things being equal, honey, the one that pays the most money. So we did that. I'll give them a call to confirm, but you'll start on Monday. Be at my place by 7.30 so we can leave you enough time to walk over and be there early. You'll need to fill out some paperwork, and they may have to issue a badge. Nights have always been difficult for me. When I was very young... My brother and I had a set of bunk beds. I slept on the lower bunk and would stare up at the patchwork patterned fabric of his mattress, trying to fall asleep. I would stare at it until my brain made patterns out of it. Faces, houses, farm fields. I'd lay in bed under him and listen for any creak of the floorboards, any turn of the bedroom doorknob. Later, when had a twin bed in the room to myself, I'd pull the bed away from the wall each night, just far enough so I could roll to the wall and drop through the gap to the floor just in case I needed a quick escape. And some nights, depending on my father's mood or how drunk he was, I'd lay under the bed on a blanket, clutching my little league bat until I fell asleep. As I grew old enough to contemplate this shit show that was my childhood and began grappling with my sexual identity, sleep continued to elude me. But my mind had become more active and engaged during my insomnia, turning things over and over, looking for patterns, reasons, answers. Being away at college helped. I felt safe in certain areas of my life. Dick had always been an asshole to me, but I didn't feel physically vulnerable in the way I had at home growing up. I also had access to alcohol and pot to self-medicate when needed. After my mother's reaction at Easter, however, I was back to almost complete insomnia. I'd lay in bed, restless and tired, and stew in her hateful comments. That night, however, having felt as if I'd taken some control of my life, I got my first decent sleep since Easter. I planned out what I needed for my first week of work the next morning at the kitchen table over a cup of Earl Grey tea. As all my dress clothes were at my mom's house, I decided to charge a week's worth of clothing to my credit card. I also wanted to celebrate my good news with Ginger when she got home that night and did the same with groceries and a bottle of wine. It was the most I'd ever charged on my credit card in a day, but I figured I'd have money coming in soon to pay it off. The phone rang as I was putting the groceries in the fridge. Hey, Ginger, I answered. What's up? The system installation is taking longer than anyone thought. I'm going to be staying another night and coming home Friday after work. That's too bad, but I understand. Hey, I'm making us dinner when you get home. What's the occasion? I got a job. I start Monday. That's great. Congrats. I can't wait to hear all about it. But I've got to go. We're really behind. Friday came and I spent the morning cleaning the house and doing yard work as a storm was supposed to come through in the late afternoon, which it did. The phone rang around 5. Kit, it's Ginger. Listen, the weather here is horrendous. The rain is coming down in buckets, and it's so windy it's raining sideways. The power keeps coming and going, we've localized flooding, and I'm going to have to spend another night here and come home in the morning. Okay. A huge thunderclap sounded exactly as the power went off. I was on the portable phone and the line went dead. Be safe. I said into the deadline. By the time night fell, I still didn't have power. I lit candles and read. The power was restored around nine. I gave the water heater an hour to recover, took a shower, and went to bed. I was awoken by the clanging sound of metal on glass as the milkman left our delivery on the side porch. I stretched and acclimated to the sounds around me. I heard snoring coming from the living room. That's weird, I thought. I guess Ginger didn't want to come up to her bedroom and risk waking me up. I started down the staircase and stopped dead in my tracks when I saw the front door was open slightly. Had I locked it? Had Ginger used the front door? Why would she do that if it was raining and she could get in through the kitchen door more quickly from the driveway? Oh no, did Misty get out? I backed up the staircase as quickly and quietly as possible and entered Ginger's bedroom. Misty was curled up on the bed, sound asleep. I went to the windows overlooking the driveway. Only my car was there. Someone's in the house. My heart started to pound and my hands began to shake. I took the portable phone from Ginger's bedroom and slowly began descending the stairs. Misty began to follow me down. I turned and swatted at her. She gave me a hiss and ran back into the bedroom. Grabbing the casing at the bottom of the steps, I leaned into the living room doorway until I could see the sofa. I saw a pair of construction boots, white socks, and a man's hairy shins. More snoring. I opened the telephone line, ready to press 911 and bolt out the front door, but my curiosity got the better of me. I slowly stepped into the room, moving only with his snores to ensure he was asleep. I cleared the doorway, and there on the sofa was a red-headed, bearded, middle-aged, portly, hairy, and completely naked man except for his construction boots and white socks. I stood there for a minute, taking him in. He had so much pubic hair I could barely make out his penis. Son of a bitch, I thought. A man wanders into the place, passes out, and isn't even the least bit attractive. I know I should have been more concerned about my safety, but that was my reaction. He started to turn over, and suddenly I bolted out the front door, thankful I'd worn my pajama bottoms to bed rather than just my underwear. 9-1-1, Nine one one. what's your emergency? There's a naked man on my sofa. I could tell by the pause and the tone of her voice that the operator was trying not to laugh or say something flippant. Do you know this man? No. I came downstairs, noticed the front door of the house was open a little, heard snoring, and found him, naked, on the living room sofa. What is your address, sir? I gave her all of my information. We're sending officers now. Please stay on the line until they arrive. When the officers arrived, I heard one say to the other, Well, this explains all the calls we've been getting about various bits of clothing being left in people's yards. Evidently, he'd gotten drunk at one of the local bars, and as he walked home, started stripping. Based on the officer's information, he'd gotten confused as to which house was his. He tried getting into several other houses along his way, and was able to get Ginger's front door open. Do you want to press charges? the officer asked. Is there any damage to the front door? No, but you may want to replace that lock. It just pushes right open. He showed me, and I was thankful I hadn't left it unlocked. I was afraid Ginger would have lost all confidence in me. Then, no, I said. I figured the story alone was going to be worth a scare one day. Ginger made it home by noon. I told her the story. She laughed for a solid minute and a half. We went out to the local hardware store and bought a new lock for the door. I installed it that afternoon, then made us dinner, and we celebrated her software go live and my new job. For the first couple of weeks, I worked one day here, one day there. I got to see all kinds of companies around the city. I was able to experience so many different corporate cultures. I was filling in for people at banks, manufacturing facilities, chemical companies, warehouses. It was definitely educational. I spent a couple of days as a switchboard operator, which was surprisingly fun for me. As a man covering for secretarial positions typically held by women, I was an instant curiosity. The attention ran from playful to uncomfortable, to outright hostile. What are you, gay or something? I was asked on more than one occasion, which soured my attitude about the whole thing, from excited to cautious. By the end of the second week, I was getting a bit stressed by the constant change. I think I'm ready for a longer placement, I said to Patty one Friday on the way out of the city. For the rest of the summer? I'm not going back to school in the fall. Oh, Kit. She sounded disappointed. She was a single mother and had already put two of her children through college and her third was about to start. It was important to her that her kids were positioned to be able to do better than she had in life. I'm not saying I won't ever go back, but right now, I need a guaranteed monthly income, whether I go or not. That's true, she said. I'll see what I can find on Monday. Thanks. Any plans for the weekend? I'm auditioning for a show at the local theater. Play or musical? Musical. The show was Dames at Sea. It was set in the 1930s as a spoof of the elaborate Busby Berkeley musical movies of the same era. I'd never heard of it and didn't really care. My goals were to be around people, have some fun, and make new friends. It had been a very lonely few months for me. Paul was coming up for the summer to run the children's theater program with Wendy, and I was looking forward to spending time with them both. Auditions were ultimately spread out over a couple of days, dancing, acting, singing, then callbacks. A blonde haired woman who had just relocated to the area from New York with her husband and children was the choreographer and ran the dance auditions. The guest director was a brown-haired, heavy-set man from Philadelphia, about ten years older than me, and ran the acting auditions. I was surprised to learn Michael was the musical director. I was equally surprised to learn that auditioning for him was more intimate for me than having sex with him had been. I felt more exposed, standing in front of him fully clothed, singing, than I ever had felt being naked with him having sex. It was an uncomfortable realization. My takeaway from auditions was that I had no aptitude for tap dance. I wasn't the best actor, but I had the singing skills. Given not many men auditioned, I was cast in the one lead role that didn't require any dancing. On the way into the city with Patty the following Friday, she told me she'd gotten me an interview for an open-ended position at the largest company in the city. The international company was a cultural icon in the area. They'd been around for over 100 years, owned tons of real estate, had family manor homes all over the state, and working there was a big deal. What are the details? It's here in the city, of course. You'd be an admin assistant in their creative division, working with graphic designers, tech writers, and their internal editing department you would be doing basic secretarial work and managing the timekeeping for all the temps. They rely almost entirely on temp agencies to staff the group. It sounded exciting, and I thought it would look good on my resume. Your interview is Monday. It's business casual, so you don't need to show up in a suit. Which was good, because my only suit was at my mom's house, and I didn't want to lay out the money to buy a new one. Sounds great. Kit, come in and have a seat, the tall woman with shoulder-length, perfectly styled brunette hair said to me at the company on Monday. My name is Loretta and you'd be reporting to me. She launched into a list of all the things I'd be responsible for, a bit about the culture, how many people were in the group, who the group served, how long they'd been around, and all the high level details for the job. Do you have any questions for me? She asked. One, why is the position becoming available? The last person quit. May I ask why? She looked at me, sizing me up. You see that lamp behind you? I told her one Monday, after I'd taken the hypnosis class over the weekend, that I could turn it on and off with my mind. And? And she quit. She said her religious beliefs wouldn't allow her to work in such an environment and gave her notice that day. She waited a beat for me to process that. Any other questions? What was the hypnosis class for? She took a cigarette case out of her purse and put one in her mouth. Smoking cessation. I laughed out loud. Come on, I'll walk you out. I need a cigarette, she said, winked, and grabbed the lighter off her desk. It's a shame about the lamp, I said. How so? I'd have paid real money to see you do that. By the time I got home, there was a message from Patty on the machine. Kit, I don't know what you did, but they said they have to have you and want to know when you can start. Call me. By the end of that week, I was beginning rehearsals for the musical and was all set to start my first steady professional job. I felt hopeful and relaxed. Epilogue. As I wrote this episode, I found myself thinking, this is so boring. It wasn't until I'd read it a couple of times that I realized it was because I was finally writing an episode where nothing terrible had happened to me. I've noted before that writing about trauma can be re-traumatizing, and the first 17 episodes were exactly that. I've been bouncing along from one trauma to another most of my life. As I've mentioned, producing episode 17, in which my family severed ties and threw me out, gave me a new perspective that perhaps I was better off without them. My 21-year-old self did not know this yet. Younger me missed my sister. Younger me was deeply scarred by my mother's words and actions. Yet as full of uncertainty as those first few weeks with Ginger were, they were also entirely free from personal trauma. It was the first time in my life I was almost completely myself and no one around me had a problem with it. What's a naked stranger on your sofa and some Klansmen handing out applications in front of a bank compared to my mother wishing me dead of AIDS and throwing me out? Regarding my reaction to auditioning in front of Michael, survivors may recognize that phenomenon. I had been compartmentalizing sex with Michael and didn't even realize it. When Sam stuck his dick in my mouth when I was in elementary school, the time Pip raped me after high school, I had the sensation of physically leaving my body when I'd dissociate. It seemed I no longer needed to leave my body to dissociate from what I was doing with it. The process had become subtle, more insidious, and autonomic. During sex with Michael, my mind, body, and heart were experiencing my time with him in their various ways, but they weren't connecting with each other. Each was in its own insulated box. Singing in front of Michael and having the sense it was more intimate than literally being naked with him and having sex with him was the first time I remember thinking, this is weird, what's this about? But I didn't dwell on it long. It was an instantaneous, that's an interesting question, but move along, nothing to see here, reaction. My feelings, thoughts, and body now existed separately, disconnected when it came to anything sexual. This coping mechanism helped me survive my sexual trauma. For those who are survivors, you know the price we pay in our future intimate relationships by separating ourselves from our bodies and survivorship of our trauma. The same coping mechanisms that got us through our trauma, as valuable and necessary as they were, often interfere with or hold us back from establishing relationships as adults that are equal parts emotionally and physically intimate. My work had yet to begin on that front. I was still bouncing through life, trying to keep my shit together. Figure out who I was and what I wanted. I hadn't yet realized that what I needed was something entirely different.